Turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. As I was reading this, uh, I was kind of taken back. Many of you have read, uh, read after C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer of Mere Christianity and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, great theologian. Uh, and in his writings about the Psalms, he believes that Psalm 19 is the greatest psalm written of all the writings of the Psalter. And I was kind of taken back. Many others would say Psalm 19, uh, 119, or Psalm 23, or maybe even Psalm 51. They may go to a Messianic psalm like Psalm 2, or the greatness and the shortness of Psalm 117 or 150. But C.S. Lewis and I think there's a great, great truth in it being one of the great psalms. And I was just struck by a couple of words in it. Now, I want to give you a flashback. How many of you remember Sesame Street? There used to be a little song they would sing that would teach recognition. And it went something like this. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. Well, this morning, I think that's very fitting in what I want to preach this morning. Entitled, God's People, God's Word, and Sin. God's People. God's word and sin. One of these things is not like the other. And one of these things surely doesn't belong. He said in Psalm 19, and I want to begin reading in verse 11. And there's a lot of metaphorical language and uh, great, it's a great hymn, a great spiritual song. Uh, Psalm 19 could be sung. He begins in the first six verses speaking about the greatness of God in his creation. And then he moves in a different way in verse 7 through 11. And then he goes through in verses 12 and through 14 on the power of God's word. But I want us to look at verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The psalmist wrote about two very clear-cut definitions or categories of sin. Secret sin, or in some of your translations, it may say unintentional sin, and then presumptuous sin. These are two forms, and Matthew Henry wrote very clear about 
the, the differences in these. One, the secret sin or unintentional sin is that sin which we often commit without desire. It just, our flesh rages, we, we pop off at the mouth or we do something and, and we don't, it, unconsciously we act and immediately we're overwhelmed with the power of guilt or conviction and it bothers us, but it does not remove the fact that we sin. And then there is the presumptuous sin. It's the sin that is bringing down kingdoms and churches and families and careers and life in a believer. The Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. We don't take that serious anymore. Sin is just something that we think about being preached in hellfire brimstone messages 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. And now, in our cultural age, we want to politically correct everything. We want to throw the doors wide open and say anything's acceptable. Things have changed. It's not like it used to be. But I want you to understand, before a holy God, sin is still a reproach. And in our lives, in our personal lives, we have accepted things that are unacceptable to God. We have tiptoed the line of carnality and we are bringing a reproach on ourselves, our families, our churches, our community, and ultimately on the world. You see, church, if you're born again, you know better. You ever had your parent look at you and tell you that? You know better. I'm the older brother. And so it didn't matter what happened. If a little brother did something and they got a whipping, I got a whipping. If I got a whipping for me, I got a whipping for me. They didn't get it. But if they get a whipping, baby brother get in trouble for something, I'd get a whipping too. Just for being associated because they said, well, you're older. You know better. And you let him do it. How does that work out? There's a certain element of that that is true. I listened this weekend. We had the great opportunity to go to Tekoa, to the Georgia Baptist Retreat Center, and hear Dr. Cantor speak to pastors and deacons and Brian Alexander and Mark Merritt and, and Marty Youngblood and Hannah Cantor spoke to the wives. And we, we talked a lot about this generation of millennials in our day when we went to the ball field and we had a coach and the coach would get on us we'd get all fired up and we were all bought in day one but a millennial no matter what you say you cannot emotionally charge them up they're going to tip their toe in the water and they're going to say well i'll see but i'm not going to commit to anything not we, there's no committal in marriage people live together there's no committal in jobs, they're transient. There's no committal in church, they don't join. They just flow from place to place. There's no committal in their lives to walk with the Holy God. Because we've been taught that as the winds of life and culture changes, so can we. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's a prevalent idea in life 
that says, do whatever you want to do. The psalmist said, who can understand his errors? Speaking of ourselves. How? How can we understand? He said, cleanse me from secret faults. First of all, we need to understand. Remember the three things, God's people, God's word, and sin. We have tonight a training and a rally for what? VBS. Well, what does that stand for? Vacation. Vacation what? And we go to Sunday school supposedly to study what? The Bible. And we hear the preaching of the... Matt says almost every week, pray for Brother Matt as he preaches God's... And woe be unto me if I give you my opinion. I am not a learned man. I am not that smart. I am not capable and charismatic enough to issue a change in your life. But I can read God's word and say, thus saith the Lord. This changes lives. But if you never stick your nose in it, if you think you're above Sunday school, if you've outgrown a small group, if you don't ever sit down and crack the word of God, sin will move from secret to presumptuous. First of all, we are warned by the word. Look back in verse 7. We are warned by the word. Not warmed, but with an end. God's word warns us of impending danger. First of all, as it warns us, it confronts us. We don't like confrontation. I don't like confrontation. I despise confrontation. can't stand. It makes me nervous, sick at my stomach. But the word of God confronts us because God is holy and does not back up. God never changes. I've been reading my Bible through, you know, this, this year. And so we spent a lot of time on the road this weekend. And so I read half the Psalms on the way up. And when you read 75 Psalms at a sitting, you get a full array of David's life. You go from the mountaintop experiences to his bones are breaking to his Ahithophels who have betrayed him to his son who has run him out of his kingdom to it being an old man. Everything in the gamut of life you hear from David. I read through Ezra and reading through Nehemiah and, and I see over and over and over and over and over where God has warned and God has issued judgment, where God has tried to get their attention, and they would not hear it. Began to read yesterday in Ezra and Nehemiah, and hearing those who it says, this many and this many and this many and this many, and then God says, but they did that which was not right. They married people they were not supposed to marry. They, in, they joined with groups they were not supposed to join. As very apparent this morning, summer's already getting here early. It may not feel like it weather-wise, but summer is here. And we will have every excuse not to worship King Jesus. Do you know what separates, and I heard that 
this weekend. You know what separates a, a revival movement from just a religious gathering? Do you know what Satan has always attacked in the church of the living God? Worship. Corporate worship. You don't, you don't get around a cult and they sing. They may chant, they don't sing. They don't know the songs of Zion. You know what happened when the children of Israel left God, rebelled, and ended up in exile? It said they hung their harps on the willows. They stopped singing unto the Lord. Did that not bless you? Why? Do you ever catch yourself going through the day and catch yourself singing a hymn or singing a, a spiritual song of praise? That's what God's Word tells us we ought to do. That it ought to be uh, ever on our heart. It ought to be a meditation of our heads. Listen, He warns us by His Word. He said in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Yeah, but I believe there's errors. Listen, Southern Baptists tried that. Methodists have tried that. Hitler tried that, Stalin tried that, Alexander and Peter and all the other great powers of the world tried that. And my friends, it's still the truth. The law of the Lord is perfect. What happens? It converts the soul. See, my mom and daddy loved me and they taught me things. But it was the word of God that converted me. It's the preached word that the Bible says is power unto salvation. It's not the preacher. It's the preaching. It's the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It is perfecting. It is converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Have you ever read something in the Word of God you know is right, but you really didn't want to read it because now that you read it, you got to do something about it? But it's right. And it may be painful, but it needs to be done. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together it confronts us when we put our nose that's why we don't read the bible because we're afraid if we read something well we may have to deal with something but we can quote you every lyric to the chain smokers we can quote you the lyrics to luke bryan we can quote you what was said on fox news we can quote to you what some cool person said on Twitter. We can quote to you famous philosophers of life. But can we quote the Word of God? That which can do something for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he will direct your path. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even so, Lord, 
Come quickly. Church, can we open God's word honestly and truthfully and remain the same? No. It's a transforming power that goes beyond any reaches of genealogy. It goes beyond any reaches of vocation. Rahab was changed by the word of God. Amen? Elijah was changed by the word of God. Elisha said, oh, let me go home first. And Elijah said, do whatever you want. It's God's word. But he didn't go home to pout or to sulk. He went home to take care of business. And he took that oxen, a team of oxen, and he slew them. And he made a sacrifice and he took the plow, that which he made money with. And he showed God openly, I'm putting it all behind. And he took and broke up the plow as firewood and he laid the sacrifice. And then he invited all his friends and family as a witness that that part of my life is done. I'm going to be a prophet of the Lord. God used him in a mighty way. When Jesus come walking up to Andrew, his word changed his life. And it was the words of Jesus through Andrew, Andrew that changed Peter. It was the words that Stephen preached that Saul heard that when he met the word on the road to Damascus changed his life. It was the word that changed the Ethiopian eunuch. It was the word that challenged the Philippian jailer. It was the word that changed Matt Brady. He warns us. Look, there's nothing going on here in this world today that has surprised God. Nothing. God doesn't have to watch CNN to know what's going to happen. Do you know this? The older we get, I don't know about you, but we become weather junkies. I, you know, we stand around and we can hold an entire conversation about how much it's rained and what it's going to do for the next 10 days. We start acting like meteorologists. We're talking about barometric hunters, redneck backwood hunters, we, fishermen. What's the barometric pressure do? I believe it's going to be good. We're, it's falling and there's a storm front coming. The fish ought to be, I mean, come on. But you know God's never had to watch the weather channel to know what's coming. He knew there were going to be a floods in the Midwest. He knew there was a great fire that's burning even now in Charlton County. In the Okefenokee. He knew that. It didn't surprise him. He knew there'd be a blizzard in Colorado this past week. And whether there's a global warming or not, hear me now. God don't need Al Gore to tell him what to do. I know he invented the internet, but God doesn't check. God hadn't Googled anything. He is the word. He is the final authority. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. It confronts us if we would just simply open it. And read it. I'm not, listen, I am anti, you've got to do it this way at this time. I've heard all my life, you need to get up and have a quiet time before the Lord at 430 in the morning. If you do that, great. But don't tell me I can't be right with God if I don't. 
Because when you're snoozing, I'm still up with God. Because right, God doesn't go to bed, so I figure he can meet with me then as well as he can with me at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't have, I just believe that whole part about pray without ceasing and studies show you. I think that's a continual process. It's a meditation of my heart. It's, that should, as we sing, be ever present on my lips. I'm not trying to show that I'm super spiritual. What I'm saying is that not all roads lead to God, but any form of seeking God in his word by seeking the word is good with God. It confronts us. It convicts us. Man, he said it's as a two-edged sword, able to separate bone from marrow, able to separate that which is done unconsciously and that which is done intentionally. It's what the psalmist is writing. The word of God knows you. Don't say, well, God just knows my heart. That's a scary thing if you'll really meditate on that for a minute. Well, God just knows my heart. Look, I'm just, I'm just trying to be sincere. Listen, God don't care about your sincerity. God cares about the reality of whether you're willing to obey the convicting power of his word. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you leave church every Sunday saying, boy, I feel good then you're probably going to Osteen's church. But it's not about the power of positive thinking. Listen, you read guideposts, there's some good stories, but you know what? I, I can actually read Facebook and find a good story every once in a while, but that don't mean it's all good. It's not about thinking positive. Sometimes we need to get real and say, God, I am worthless. I am useless. There is no good and no hope for me. David said that many times. He said, God, I can't take another step. He said, but with you. He said it long before Paul did. He said, but with you, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. It convicts us. God, I'm a sinner. I am a born-again saint that sins. I fail the grace of God. Forgive me. How do we know that we have sinned? Because God's word says so. Well, I just believe. It don't matter what you believe. What matters is what does God's word say. You can take comparative religion classes in college. You can go and read all the bestsellers of the world and what they think and what they have uh, uh, expanded on and their propagation uh, of things. Listen, don't forget that some of the most respected and revered people in this world are now remembered as the most hated, despised people. They saw Hitler as a god. Literally, my Fuhrer, my God. They saw him as their, their ruler of life that was going to rule for a thousand years. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Even if he did, that is subpar to the God we serve. A thousand years is as a day with my God. Amen? It ought to convict us. I am failing to preach God's word if somewhere along the way someone doesn't say, that pricks my heart. I'm not right with God. 
If somewhere, and I've had people come and say, oh, boy, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. I understand the analogy, but I've gotten where I said, well, I missed. Because I was aiming at your heart. But I said, here's the deal, because I never want to come off as, bless God, I got you told today. And understand my heart. These two words have been written at the top of my calendar for weeks. Secret sin, presumptuous sin. Secret faults, presumptuous sin. And every day I'd walk in, sit down at my desk, I'd read those. And I'd made notes, and so it went with me, and I'd take my Bible home with me or use another Bible, and there it was staring at me. And I had it locked into my phone, and when I'd go to my Bible app, that's the first thing that would pop up, and God began to reveal things in my life. Before I can preach it with authority, I've got to get it right with myself to the convicting power of being warned in the Word. It convinces us. God's Word will convince you what is right and what is wrong. He tells us in verse 10, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. You have been warned. And as we read it and as we study it and as we grow in it, as these children, listen, if you're on the fence about Bible school or you say, oh, I'm too old, I'll let somebody else, or I'm too busy, as somebody else will fill in. What if everybody said that? Then some child who does not have parents like you had or who you are that loves them, the opportunity for an unchurched child to come into Eastside, why this church was founded, listen to me. If you've ever said, why don't you come to my church? Well, I like my church. I like the way my church. Can I tell you something? And I don't mean this ugly. It's not your church. I don't care if you're the deacon, the pastor, or the oldest member. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. He paid for it, right? There's times where I, I've talked about, you know, when I was a kid and I'd talk about, hey, come to my house or, hey, our house, and, you know, I'd be in conversation with my dad and mom said, well, our house, and they said, whose house? I said, our house. They said, your name on the deed? It ain't your house. You live here. It's our house. Not your house. Not our house. Our house. And we need to remember, we are guests, but we're family in his house. And we ought to understand, it was formed and God has blessed it to this point because we have led others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And worshiped his holy name. And when we fail to do the great commission, then God can write Ichabod over the door. The glory is gone. And then all we will be is a civic organization. We got enough of them already. This, we could say Eastside Strong, and we could say prayers for Eastside, and we could say this, and we can have a GoFundMe page, and we can do all kind of great things. But if we're not preaching, teaching, singing, and worshiping the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord, then it is useless. We are warned by the word about our sin. 
And we need to understand we can be washed by the word. I love the words of John the Baptist. He tells us, as I've already quoted the first verse of the first chapter of John, that Jesus is the word. But he says in the latter part of the chapter in verses 33 and 34, John said, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. It's not men who make an everlasting change in others' lives. You, you can make an impact. But only Jesus can impact someone's life eternally. We need to understand that he washes us through the word. It's a radical washing for those who are lost. It is the word incarnate. Jesus Christ coming into the world as we heard this morning. Born of a virgin. Lived without sin. Died on a cross. But lives forevermore. It is the word incarnate that washes us. White as snow, come, let us reason together, God's word said. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. By his stripes we are healed. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a radical washing. When Jesus washed me in the word by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was the substance of, the inspired Theonusto, God-breathed word. It was Jesus who paid the price. And God the Father, the whole triune God, saved me. That's pretty radical, isn't it? How do you like to know this? God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is for you. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says that the Holy Spirit will pray for you when you... When you can't even pray. Unto and through Jesus who goes as the mediator, the advocate unto the Father. The Trinity. Making intercession. And hearing our prayers. The Word warns us. The Word washes us. Washes us radically. But it's a recurrent washing for those who are saved that... Dr. Stanley used to talk about because we would hear about this, this second blessing that we get saved and then we get baptized. No, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit rushes into that which has died and we have become eternally alive by the baptism of the Spirit in our lives, sealing us into the day of redemption. Therefore, there is one indwelling many fillings. We need to pray, oh God, fill me with your Spirit. It's a recurrent washing. This is the word inspired. As we read, have you ever read the word of God and just wanted to get up and run around the couch and shout hallelujah? Something spoke to you right where you're at at that moment. You had a heavy heart. You were burdened about things. 
Church, the Word of God has an answer for you. So you don't know what I'm going through. I don't have to. I know the Word of God. I've read every word of it. And I know the power of God can change anything. If he can make the clock to back up, if he can walk on water, if he can split the sky, if he can speak the oceans and the firmament, the stars and the sun into existence, he can surely deal with your problems. Amen? Isn't there hope in that? I saw a thing the other day I thought was probably pretty accurate. It's funny, but it's probably pretty accurate. And it showed this person, you know, is this funny picture. It says, when you realize you've got to make a 372 on your final exam to pass the class. I'm pretty sure that's about impossible. But in life, the things that are impossible is when you see God the biggest. Right? When there's no way you can make it through. When you got that call, you know the call. You said, I, I, I can't even breathe. I can't even, I can't even breathe. I can't, I can't take another step. I, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. When that thing that pops up in life that absolutely floors you, you don't know what to do. How will we respond? Will we unintentionally respond out of the flesh or will we seek God and be warned, prepared, washed recurrently as believers in His Word, but then we're withheld by His Word? He said... In verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, I would challenge you, if you really want to hear a real message on this, well, you'll, you can't hear it, you'll have to read it. But you punch in Charles Haddon Spurgeon or C.H. Spurgeon, presumptuous sin, and hear his message on this text. This is the worst kind of sin. Because you see, it is this kind of sin that is deliberate. It's done with malice. It's done, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it. You know, when you look at your child, and they're about three years old, you know it's that moment when God's Word is quickened in your heart to know that all are born in sin. When you look at your child and don't do it, and they're looking you square in the face, don't do it. Don't touch that piano. Don't touch that piano. And then they're challenging you, what are you going to do about it? Well, God's Word tells us all our pitiful challenges against God will be met with judgment because He's a holy God and can do none else. If you thought you have slipped by, rest assured, Sunday's coming. There's a great day coming. Now, I don't say that to try to make you upset in the wrong way. But church, I'm going to tell you, the most humbling moments I have in life is remembering when I say, Oh Lord, even so Lord come Jesus, I'm tired of the way this world's going, all the things that's going on. What 
are my children going to face when they have children? Oh, Lord, just come on back. And then I realize, but if I go right now, I'm going to face Jesus. Am I right? What is it that's not right in my life? And even though I'm going to heaven, I have no doubt in my mind, it's not going to get there and he's going to weigh works. It don't work that way. Either you're born by the blood of Jesus or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. You can't be good enough. You can't be pretty enough. You cannot go to church enough. You can't even read this Bible enough. What you can do is let this word, as we've just said, change you and wash you white as snow. And if so, praise God, we're going to heaven, but we'll still stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And every work, good or bad, will be judged. Church, you may be saved, but understand something. Saved people sin. We have our little pet sin. They're presumptuous sins. They're deliberate sins. God's word tells us we're withheld by his word. The psalmist said in 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've hid it. I've studied it. I've prepared it. How many of you have ever been in Awana? How many of you can still quote verses from Awana? Amen. Boy, you sit down and, and you know, you know you're a good procrastinating Christian parent if you've ever had a handbook out on your way to Wednesday night. And you're quoting them and making them quote it back at you just as hard as you, yeah. We've all, us Awana parents have done that. Boy, I mean, it's cram session. We're trying to cram it in to get that thing checked off. But you know where? Somewhere along the way, those words stick because they're the Word of God. And I don't see any reason why we, we got these painted places in the carpet we say, oh, it just takes, takes a lot of workers to do a wanna. Well, how much do you care about kids? How much do you care and believe that the Word of God can change people's lives? I thank God for a wanna. My kids can quote Scripture because of a wanna. Because there were people who came and studied and led and preached and shared the Word of God. We're withheld by His words when we hide it in our hearts. And what is withheld? We're withheld from dominant thoughts. How do we do that? He said in verse 13, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. How do we keep back? By not the power of positive thinking, but by words of blessing. When we read of God's faithfulness, when we read of God's goodness, give, just, just say them quickly, tell me somebody in the Bible trusted God's word in a bad situation God got them through. Quickly. Who? I didn't hear. I'm deaf. Joseph. That's who I was thinking about. Genesis Joseph. But also the New Testament Joseph. Who else? Daniel. Where was he at? Lions Den. What about his three amigos? Remember their name? Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Now the alias was, but that was not their God-given name. That was their Babylonian name. I like their Jewish name because that's what God gave them. And in heaven, I believe they'll be called Hananiah, 
Azariah, and Mishael. I'm the pastor and I'm preaching, so that's my opinion. But over and over and over, what about Elijah? What about Adam? And what about Isaac? What about Jacob? What about Ezra? What about Nehemiah? What about Barzillai? What about Peleg? What about Enoch? What about all these others? What about you? Can you say, I'm one of them? Where God, in a hopeless situation, has gotten me through? I can. When I thought, oh God, I've made a mess out of it. Oh God, how in the world did I get in this situation? And I start dreading and I start worrying myself sick. And when I stop, God says, just stop it and hear what I have to say. For I, I know, God said, the plans I have for you. Some of you have that for your life first, don't you? Jeremiah 29, 11. But I like verse 13. For I will hear you when you seek for me. And I'll hear you when you seek for me with all your heart. Church, we're withheld from our dominant thoughts through words of blessing. We're withheld over devious talk. When we start talking about all the problems of the world and all the things, we can talk ourselves right into depression sometimes. Have you ever walked up to somebody and you was in a good mood and when you left, you thought, the world's coming to the end today. I mean, it's like hanging out with Gulliver for about 30 minutes. You remember Gulliver, don't you? Oh, or his buddy. I forgot his name. If he was living today, it'd be Debbie Downer. He said, Oh, Gulliver, we're doomed. There's people. How you doing? Odd, I guess. I'm odd under the circumstances. Well, considered some people, I guess I'm all right. Really? Why not even ask you? But you know, I feel better about myself listening to you. You know, some people just wham, wham, you know, come on. How many is breathing? Are you breathing in here? We'll make sure. All right, so if you're breathing, you're doing okay. How many walked to church today? <laughs> Bless God, you better put your hand up. <laughs> By choice. If you don't eat today, it'll be your own choice. Right? And I'm being honest. If you don't have food, come see me after. We'll make sure we get you some food. But I don't, I don't think. But I mean, it's possible. But we're very blessed. In church, we need to realize, in the midst of this devious talking of God, it, it, it portrays a God that's unable to meet our needs. And listen, if you stand around, tell dirty jokes, listen to dirty jokes, or think it's cool to use phallic, I am sick. Listen to me. I am sick and tired of hearing the filth that comes out of the world. And the sad thing is, the church sounds just like them. If you can't use, get mad if you want, but if you can't use bigger than four-letter words, you're dumb as a brick. That's just the truth. Jesus is five letters, two syllables. 
If you can't do it, listen, my mother-in-law, she loved the Lord. And listen, when she'd get wound up, she'd say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She'd hear something bad, she'd say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know what? That's a pretty good remedy. If you can't do anything, but you think you're funny because you talk about filth or because you're devious towards someone else, if you have to talk about somebody else, you're real insecure with yourself. You know the people who's always gossiping and running somebody down simply are deferring attention away from their lack of respect for themselves because they're afraid if they be quiet, somebody will notice how short they really are. In life, Christians should never be portrayed by a devious mouth. And when we read God's word, listen, we may get so in-depth reading, we're too busy to do the talking. It's a warning of judgment. God's word says, it's coming. It's coming. He tells us how the same mouth can not blessing and cursing come. He said a fountain's either going to be good or it's going to be bitter. That tree will bear fruit, not thorns. It cannot do both. We're withheld from devious talk and withheld over a deceptive heart through the reminder of redemption. Listen to what he said. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. And I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth. Oh, by the way, when you read the Old Testament, when you read Leviticus and that area, you know all that part that you get bogged down because it's the law in triplicate. You've got to offer a turtle dove and a ram and a this. And you've got to have a free will offering and a burnt offering. And you've got to do it for this sin and that sin. You know what the sin that he says no offering for? If they did it, cast them out presumptuous sin that sin which people do and have no thought and no care what God thinks about it it is that repetitive self-absorbed presumptuous sin but he tells us let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer we're reminded our Redeemer lives. Amen? Here's the truth. And I wrote this at the bottom of my notes. And you may want to write this in the margin of your Bible. In, informed, speaking of the Word. When we're informed by the Word. Informed equals transformed. Our lives will not be the same when we're open to what God has to say. Church, read it. Hear it. And obey it. Every Orthodox Jew, when you walk into their home, has the Shema hanging on the wall. It is in Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, for your God is one. That word hear in the Hebrew means listen to obey. Church, we must follow God's word. We must hear it. We must read it. And we must obey it. And when we do, listen, it will warn us. It will wash us. It will withhold us. And more than anything, it will regenerate us 
because that word is not an inanimate object. It's not ink and paper. It's Jesus. As they come to the instruments this morning, they come with a hymn of invitation. May God's Holy Spirit in His Word draw you. Not my words, but His. He said, Seek me while I may be found. How many of you put off Sunday after Sunday? Oh, I was going to go last Sunday. Oh, I wish I'd went to the altar. Today's the day. Matthew says, Boast not thyself. Well, Proverbs, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Matthew says, Seek ye the Lord and his kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. But by me, church, it is the word of God that will change the people of God. That we may not sin against God. So that we will hear our God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you know you need to come. Satan's already telling you this kind of stuff. I know. I've, I've sat there. I've stood in the pulpit and heard these lies. If you go to the altar, people will think you're a sinner. Can I give you a secret? You are. But people will think I've really messed up. You really have. And can I even break it even bigger? So have I. But it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or what anybody says. As I was reading about Ezra and Nehemiah, he built an, a pulpit of wood. And for a quarter of the day, the people stood and he read the word. And for a quarter of the time, they prayed and confessed their sins. You got plenty of time for two or three verses. Come, pray, seek God's face. Repent of your sins. Don't leave here halted. Don't leave here chained by the sin of unconfession. Come today and give it to Jesus. Stand and come. Stand and come.